Hi, I'm Ernie Boxall, and I am the storyteller. And with No Story Stagnates, I'm helping business owners and interesting people tell their story before somebody else tells it for them so that they can make the maximum impact on more people without anxiety or dread. And welcome to No Story Stagnates with me, Ernie Boxall. It's my pleasure to introduce the Time Lord, the man of the future, the man who goes forward to the past. It is Ian Kingwell. Ian, tell us who you are, where you are and what you're doing, please. Good afternoon for, from where I am and good morning to you where you are. Ernie, how are you? That's good. Yes, it's all good. Ian Kingwell, man of the future, as Ernie said, uh, living in Australia down under, live about one and a half hours north of Sydney, near the coast, a place called Blue Bay, fantastic place to live, and I uh, love enjoying life here, and uh, what do I do? We provide a service or a system where people can keep in touch with their clients or their customers or their indeed their prospects by standing out and staying top of mind by sending a real greeting card in the mail. Uh, being a little bit personalised, I'm talking about a physical card, one that actually goes in an envelope to show a little bit of a love and appreciation for people because unfortunately in this day and age, this digital age, uh, there's not enough, not enough appreciation of people and uh, I think that's something that's missing. So, that's uh, beautiful, Ian, yes, yeah. And uh, I will say to Ian, now on camera, that I did get into the, the platform yesterday, so I'm in. Good to hear you. Good deal. Yeah, you can send a card, my friend, to somebody you care about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Ian, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all of my guests, which is, do you know how your mother and father met, either for the first time or what have they told you? Well, only I sort of basically heard it from you know, various discussions as time's gone on. I think mum and dad actually met at a dance after my father played football in uh, country New South Wales in the hills, a place called Tumut near Gundagai. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah, one of those old things that uh, dad played footy, the local crowd went to watch the footy. Mum went along as she, she was, wasn't mum at that stage, but uh, she went along, she was a nurse and one thing led to another and life goes on and things happen. Nursing, <laughs> nursing a footballer. <laughs> that, must, that must have every weekend she must have been nursing your dad <laughs> well I don't know about that I think he retired relatively early anyway because he yeah. had a few football injuries and stuff like that but that's probably what I also, mean yeah, yeah yeah but I think probably nursing in that sense probably nursing in many times because they lived on the land and right they were farmers and injuries and hard work and things like that yes. so uh, she was yeah. a nurse virtually all of her life yeah I, I, I mean, this this wasn't a question I've just thought about, but can you tell can you tell us a little bit about farming life in in Australia? It's a hard life um, because compared to the English, and I don't I've never been to farms in England, but uh, we have a very hot, dry outback, uh, lack of rain, a lot of droughts, so it can be quite tough. Uh, fortunately, where we live, we didn't have the floods. But uh, there was heavy rains at times, but not to the detriment where property got flooded, but more so that you had uh, a shortage of feed during the drought periods. And, you know, I 
had the opportunity, I suppose, to possibly go on the land when I left school, but I decided to go to college and do an agricultural course. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons was because it would have been too hard right. uh, going back on that land because I saw how difficult it was and the tough times and when you yeah. had shortages of stock and you had to get rid of stock and some, in some cases actually shoot stock because it was, yeah, too yeah. painful to keep them going and they're only suffering anyway and uh, just right. the shortage of water and shortage of feed. So it can be very, very tough. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Ian. And so, you know where you know where your story started from before you were born. It was at a dance after a football match, and I, I think we'll come on later to see that football's played a bit of a part in your life. But from the years one to ten, a story that sticks in your mind now that you believe taught you a lesson. That's an interesting question. One to ten. Yeah. Um, not something I've never really thought about. And I get, honestly, I really can't say that there's anything. Yeah, as a little kid, coming back to football, sport's been a very big part of my life. And uh, probably as a little kid, I can remember, remember my mum. She was passionate about sport. That's probably where I got my, more my sporting fascination from uh, because mum loved cricket. And I can remember listening to cricket tests on the radio, the old uh, tap of the pencil when the ball hit the bat. That type yeah. of thing. That's probably that's probably one other thing that probably taught me a lesson that love of sport where right. it took me into a lot of other areas as life went on, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a, any stories, any stories from the farm when you were a young kid? Ah, we were there was always food on the table and there was always yeah. animals and life, that sort of thing, and being able to go and play in the bush. Uh, and uh, run around, I'm talking on a property at 2,000 acres, it's not the, the small property. Yeah. And Dad had another one or two properties at various times where he leased, so we probably had five or 6,000 acres all up, but there was always animals around and cat, uh, cats and dogs, and we had a big backyard. And uh, I can remember being able to go out in the paddock and kick a football, Yeah. those sort of things, and had my own cricket pitch where I'd <laughs> practice bowling and that sort of stuff. and hit tennis balls against walls and yeah. things like that. So, yeah. And being able to play in the garden and do, dig gardens and plant vegetables and have fresh vegetables. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I think, again, when you say that much that much land, you, you, you haven't been to England, but I'm not sure what an acre is, but it sounds like you owned enough land for a small town in England. Oh, absolutely. More than a small town. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, several small towns. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's all relative. Uh, yeah. Some yeah. of the country you had was good farming country. Other was just grazing country, hilly grazing country. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, yeah, Australia is a much, much bigger continent. It's of course. The, yeah. the equivalent in size to the USA and landmass almost. Yes. And if and you put one on top, top of the other, they virtually fit there. So yeah. It's relative, I guess. I'm, yeah. I'm sure it is, yeah. Yeah. And how did you look after all that land? I mean, you, you, you had, did you have cowboys? Did you have ran, ranches that rode horses? No, you, no, that was just dad, essentially. And uh, myself, as, as a child, when I became older, I'd help because, yeah, you would have helpers at various times and you'd have people to come in to do the shearing and perhaps help yeah. with some of the jobs, but they weren't employees or more no. contract 
contractors in that sense for various roles, but uh, right. majority because it was grazing country, um, it wasn't that difficult for one person really to run. And that's that was pretty normal in, yeah. in the country. And I can think if a friend that I went to college, he said when we were going to school and going to college that uh, 2,000 acres you could make a sustainable living on. Yeah. But nowadays you need probably five or 6,000 acres to be able to make a sustainable living from because yeah. of the change of economies. And in that sense, you probably do need more people right. to be able to help you in that sense. And you probably need one or two farm hands. Yes. Yeah. yeah, great. So we come on to the teenage years here. And I like to split it into two because I think it is. 11 to 15, 16, and then the second story up to 20. Two stories from your teenage years and lessons you think you learn. Lessons I think I learned that uh, when you're leaving primary school and going into high school, that uh, there's a there's a change because you're I can remember going to high school. Yeah. Um, as a first year or year seven, as it's now called, or first year as it was then, the uh, bigger kids were always picking on you, so you had to learn to stand up for yourself. Uh huh. And yeah. Yeah, very, yeah, I don't know how much you could sort of say, but they, there was the old threats of the head down the toilet bowl and things like yeah. that and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and that was more the old school initiation type thing, I think. It never happened to me or anything, but it was, you had to learn to grow up fast, I suppose, when you first went into a bigger school. Yes. Um, when you'd left a primary school, well, you were just one of the young people and that's life. You've got to learn to grow up fast and adapt and grow and participate and accept that you, you did that, Ian. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we spoke about sport earlier, and sport's been a big part of my life, and yeah, that probably helped me adapt pretty quickly because uh -huh. I love to be involved in sport. And uh, the second half of high school, um, I guess you get out of it what you put into it. You yeah, because I decided I'd go to university or college and whatever, and I had to get qualifications, so I had to do the work to do it. But uh. yeah. Um, and also to be a leader as well, because I became a, a school prefect and I became a sports captain and things like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, once again, it's part of life. You be become a leader, not just of teams and stuff, but also of yourself. You've got to lead yourself to wherever you go. Right. right. And what age was that, Ian? What age were we talking oh, that about was, now? Oh, the 16 to 18 year old age bracket. Okay. Yeah. Did you yeah. get to university or college? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah I actually did a, an agricultural science course. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and which which university was that? Oh, it was called Wagarag College when I went to it, uh, right. but it's now called Charles Sturt University because yeah. the, the yeah. whole structure's changed over here. You can uh, did amalgamate of, initially with Riverina College, and then it became Charles Sturt University. Yeah. yeah. And what? How would you say if I was to ask you what your attitude was? To teachers coming up through that period primary high school college did you get on with teachers or teachers teachers were friends um right. yeah i didn't didn't think they were anything superior i'll use no. that word superior yeah um i can still remember when i was doing our hsc and we were going down to the club and playing snooker no. um when we we're supposed to be studying and we we're having a, a beer with the the principal Right. So he was a friend yeah. in that sense. And when I was in my senior year, I was playing sport with those teachers yeah. and things like that. So that, that were no different. I probably learned that it doesn't matter what age you are, we're all the same. And right. uh, 
yeah. I think uh, it's how you treat people. Yeah. Well, it, it, that brings up something, a memory of mine, Ian, because my father is my hero, but it was very much a man of the working class. And his attitude was very much sort of tipping his cap to the uh, cap to the bosses. And that's the that's the environment I grew up in. And then I started playing football, soccer, and I played senior football, open age football at 17, 16, 17. So I was playing with adults and that quickly taught me that sometimes the bosses are, are either the best, your best mate or the biggest shits on earth. It, <laughs> you know, they didn't, it, they weren't any different to me. And particularly when, when particularly it happened a bit later when I played Rugger, where a lot of the bosses were playing and they were your teammates. Yeah, and you yeah. found out that after two points, yeah, they weren't. Yeah, the look, I, I can relate to that. I started playing uh, Australian football, as we call it here, and yeah. uh, I was only sixteen at, the, at that stage and playing with guys who were teachers. And yeah, one guy who was a teacher from another town, and he started playing with our club because that other town didn't have yeah uh, Australian football, and he became a friend. And uh, yeah. many times since then, I've actually stayed at his place as a friend. He sure. was a few years older than me, but that doesn't matter. Age is, age is but a number in reality. Yeah. It's uh, the individual. Yeah. I do remember in HMP, Australia, yeah, last night, I was with four Aussie ladies. And You're a lucky man. I was. <laughs> and the question was, do Australian rules still love fighting? Do the players still love to fight? Because that's the one memory of mine of Aussie rules is that you're allowed to fight. Nah, I think the world has changed, and yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's a and there's a big discussion going on about um, head high tackles and things like that. Yeah. So the old, yeah, the old world thuggery and bashing, and and it's not just Australian football; it's all it's rugby no, league, it's rugby not. union, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think the world has changed. Yeah. Um, and it's a faster game. It's a more physical game. And uh, there's enough hits in there and players yeah. are a little bit smarter, I think. And their hip pockets are a little bit smarter too. That's probably was, another way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, it says a little bit but a lot about me that when I played rugby, I used to quite like the fighting. <laughs> yeah. But in saying that, like I played first grade till I was 38. And, yeah. Uh, I never once threw a punch, never once got reported. Right. And I'm proud of that because I, pl I played the game fair, but I could still make sure that I let the yeah. other person know I was there and, and all <laughs> yeah. within the rules. Aye. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm quite so, happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> proud of that as well. Yeah. We're at university then, and Does that take you into your 20 to 30s? I was 19, 19 going into 20, uh, finished by the time I was 20, 21. Okay. Uh, yeah. So stories from your 20 to 30s. Well, I met my first wife yeah. uh, when I was at college. And uh, so that's the start of life. Yeah. Um, get going out in the big world and think you know everything, but you don't know everything. No. And uh, probably the one story I always think about with uh, life, you know, university, college, whatever you do, school, 
it's only a starting point for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I always say that I, I went into what was called the Soil Conservation Service, where it was preventing erosion on landholders' properties or restoring and repairing erosion and things like that. And I remember doing surveying yeah. at one of the courses at uh, college, but I learnt more in the first week in the field with the guys when I went to start in the Soil Conservation Service. Absolutely. And yeah, another thing that springs to mind is that when I went for the interview for the job, within 15 minutes, we we're talking sport and other things. And I think it's just be, and probably yeah. one of the things from that that comes out, another guy that we both went for the interview, his father was good friends with the commissioner of the Soil Conservation Service and uh, he didn't get the job, but I got the job. And I think it comes back yeah. to be your true and genuine self, be the honest yes. self that you are. Yeah. <laughs> and I think no. that serves you in as, any aspect of life. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, I then, think it, it shows, golf. yeah, it shows the truth that sport opens up doors that often other other areas of your life may not. Even your intelligence, even your qualifications at college, can sometimes be downgraded in terms of oh, he's he's a sportsman. Yeah, but I wasn't a sportsman. I just played it because I played sport. I enjoyed sport. That was just something. Yeah as part of the community, but I was just thinking of another thing and you're talking the 20 to 30 year bracket. Yeah. Um, I used to travel back to another town once again with sport to play. I got paid to travel back there and play in the hometown because there was no football. And one of the other lessons I learned in that lot, that period was that challenges get put in front of you. Yeah. And sometimes that you think that, that you can't do it, but you go and do it. And the, the guy said, why don't you try and start it? start football here and I said mate I'm too young and silly because I was yeah. only 24 at the time being a young bloke having a good time yeah as you do at that age bracket but uh, lo and behold we had a football club and a football competition the next year and right. it's only in the last 15 years that I realized that my whole life is about challenges I always want to challenge yes and uh, yeah. yeah if somebody will throw something at me and I'll think about it and I'll stew on it and I'll say well I'm going to do that uh -huh. and I think we all have challenges and too many people don't face up to them and take them head on. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, were you still involved back on the farm or had you moved away? Oh, no, I'd moved away. Yeah, no, I'd well and truly moved away by then. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd been transferred to another place in the state. Right. Uh, and then another, another place and then I ended in this the next place called Bathurst. And uh, yeah. yeah, so at that stage, yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> I've been in four different locations in five years, basically. Right. Yeah. Were you able to keep in touch with your folks or go back? Oh, yeah. Now we still rang and still went back to visit when it was appropriate. And yeah. Then as children started to come along and that sort of stuff, yeah, yeah. that sort of things, you, you do keep in touch and you go back for Christmas and hot and yeah, you know, birthdays and things, things like yeah. that. But probably not as regular as you did before. No, no. Um, and and were, were, were the Barbies, were they prevalent? Oh, yeah, barbies are part of Australian life, but probably yeah. not. Our family, funnily enough, didn't have big barbecues. Yeah, right. we weren't a big barbecue family. We were more no. the home cooking style of family. Yeah. Because uh, on a farm, you know, the baked dinner and that type of thing, that was a normal type of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Your mum a good cook? Yeah, I'd, I'd call it a good cook, yes. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, uh, at a funeral two years ago, or almost two years ago, I remember just saying mum's cooking was one of the magic things about yeah. memories of your mum. Yeah. Right. That's it. 
And coming up to the 30s then, Ian, where were you around about your 30 to 40s? Pretty settled? Uh, or? Uh, probably then I started to challenge myself even more, bought a news agency and uh, bought right. some, started some other businesses and whatever yeah. and sold those off and went through challenges of a business being burnt out, stuff like right. that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I went into business from being employed when I was 30, 31, I think it was. Yeah. 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 And what were the challenges of starting up that first business? Regulations? Was, uh, probably the biggest challenge was going from 30, working 35 hours a week to working 90 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, as you obviously know, I get up early and I was opening this business by 4.30 a.m. in the morning and finishing at 7.30 at night and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, we actually created a successful business where we went from, yeah, we more than doubled the turnover in three and a half years sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And went through the dramas of having a shop burnt out and things like that and a whole range of things. And uh, once again, I guess it's that challenge thing. You can overcome those challenges even when the hurdles seem insurmountable or you yeah. want to give up and uh you just keep plowing on and yeah yeah and once again the old story of hard work gets you somewhere uh -huh. uh, with without that hard work and putting a nose to the grindstone you don't get anything and you know taking on the challenge of opening another store while we're still doing running one store with 90 hours and having two children and uh still playing sport and still yeah. being involved in a club and <laughs> all sorts of things <laughs> like that yeah, so, yeah. Life goes on, but too many people give up really easily. There's right, probably one yeah. lesson I've learned through there that, yeah, it's what you want to get out of it. Yeah. And it's a story similar to mine, won't go into it, but what were the strains on the family while you were doing that? Were there strains on the family or did they just chip in and accept it? Well, my then wife, uh, she worked in the shop. Yeah. Um, but one thing we did make a commitment for that one of us was always there for the kids when they went went to school it was usually my wife but one of us was uh usually there when the kids came home from school yeah yeah and yeah you had to sort of make sure you gave that family time where you could yeah and uh but there was the understanding that you're working to try and make you know improve your life yeah and uh yeah when you do that you know you're going to get a reward at the end yeah uh, and so, but there are strains because obviously time it does yeah, it wasn't the end of the marriage, even though the marriage did finish eventually. Yeah. But it wasn't because of that at that time or anything like that. Right. Yeah. 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 So we're into the late 30s, 40s, Ian. Where yeah. are you at 40? Well, about 40, that's when the marriage started to break down. So right. I started new things and we got rid of the businesses in the past and um, decided to take uh, on new challenges and start a different career in sales and stuff yeah. like that. And, once again, I can remember my mum saying, um, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, yeah, mum, I can see it working. And what it was, I sold prepaid um, mobile telecommunications uh, with Vodafone, actually. You'd know Vodafone right. from the UK. Yes. And uh, I actually set up country New South Wales with prepaid telecommunications. I virtually covered the whole of New South Wales. I've never been a salesperson. And... Um, it was a challenge to me. I was a traditional salesperson that went into a shop with the folder under the arm and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'd never actually, as I said, been taught how to be a salesperson, but I learned that I'd go and sit in the car and say, well, what worked, what didn't work. Right. Self-analyze myself and 
I came to the conclusion that let's just go and talk to these people because you've got two two ears and one mouth. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just build that relationship. And I guess I developed myself that I built a, developed a cycle and turned up consistently and turned up regularly. And every six weeks they'd see me in their shop and I'd just say g'day. And eventually yeah. I built a very successful turnover and Great. all these sorts of things, that, many little stories that come out of it. But it was just you, you turn up regularly and start working. And yeah. What you have to yeah. do. Did you did you find it a numbers game and that you're able to take you're able to take the kickbacks the nose? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you get those from so many different areas. You learn to handle nose frustrations in playing sport and frustrations yeah. of having been in business and just in general life kicks you in the the teeth every now and then. But you learn that hang on, you just keep getting up and fighting. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I just yeah through that whole period. Yeah, I ended up moving to Sydney and being offered, and I can remember going round an area I had uh, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, and I could just remember sticking my head in the door. And one day, one guy said, "Mate, does your business, your card, do such and such?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, come out the back. Let's get it started." But it's also a numbers game. You keep turning up and keep turning up, and that's life. And if you don't turn up, and like we talked, you mentioned the Happy Neighbourhood project. Yeah. Um, as I say in networking, it's not about turning up and just selling something on the first time I meet Ernie. No. no. Ernie and I have got to get to know each other before we jump into bed together, as I say. Yeah. Uh, we build a relationship of some sort, and that's the same with a marriage. And same with business. You, when you go into business with somebody, you've got to have a relationship. You've got to trust each other. Yeah. If you don't trust each other, why are you going to go into business together? That's you know, why that's are you going to buy, buy my products or services, or why am I going to buy yours? Yeah. Uh, you don't, and it's a numbers game. It is, yeah, yeah. Have you found Have you found it easier over Zoom to do that, or harder than face to face? Well, it's funny. Uh, I don't know whether I've told you, but I used to treat LinkedIn as my networking group, and I'd pick up the phone and talk to people and introduce right. myself because we didn't know each other. We just connected. Yeah. And I have. I can't think of be two or three, two years, three years ago since the last time I've been to a face-to-face -face networking group right, right. but i've become more comfortable with zoom now yeah. um you and i are friends even though yeah. we've never met face to face absolutely I, I, I class ourselves as friends anyway i certainly <laughs> do yeah. yeah yeah there's no and, doubt about that and that's the beauty of what this world is yeah uh, it's changed the world and the people that are willing to be fle flexible and accept it yeah they'll get by the people that aren't willing to be flexible they get caught up. Oh, it's not, not this, not that. Yeah, they're the yeah. ones that are always going to struggle. I think, I uh, think, just in general, you've always got to have an open mind. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Now, I, when I talk about flexibility, I think what's helped me as well is, funnily enough, is my body becoming more flexible. I've worked on Tai Chi and I've worked on my flexibility, and. I've found that being able to move more easily than I did in my 40s and 50s has helped me, I think, mentally as well. Perhaps even the fact that I can still exercise has helped me. Yeah, look, I've been an advocate for being fit. I'm not a fitness fanatic and I no. never have been. But I've always been enjoyed being active. And as I said earlier, being on the farm when you're young, I think you've got yeah. an outdoor life. And that's one of the beauties of living on a farm. You can go and do many things that city folk can't do. It's just part of you. And yeah, 
I was I was one of those silly people that actually enjoyed going to footy training. Yeah, and oh, uh, would probably even go for a run on a, a day off. But if I didn't go for a run, it didn't matter. Right. And as you know, now I love going yeah. swimming. I go for a walk every day. And in this world with you know working from home and zooms and things like that, I think keeping healthy is one of the most important parts. Absolutely. Um, because if you're healthy, you've got an active mind. Yeah. Or got a more active mind, I should say. And you can yeah. think better and you can dance on your feet when you gotcha. get in, that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, if you're not fit and healthy, I think you struggle. And, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so we're coming up to 50 then, Ian. Life at 50. Well, I probably forgot to say when in the 40s, I actually met my now wife. Ah, and, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So how did so, that happen? Well, we met on the internet. Ah. Enough as we're talk, <laughs> talking about that sort of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, no. Nah, and it's, does, it really doesn't matter where you meet your person, partner, person, whatever it may be, you've still got to get on. Of course. And, uh, we still had to meet, we had to meet face to face before yeah. we could actually form that relationship. And no, yeah. I, I wouldn't trade her in for quids. And so, you know, 50, we'd move. Uh, yeah, 50. So, yeah, what is that? Yeah, several years before that, we'd moved up the coast. We'd moved from Sydney. We'd got married. Yeah. Uh, we're living up the coast. We'd had businesses and uh, my wife was in home care and we've moved a couple of times to where we are now. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, with, 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 your, with the wife. Helen's a name. Helen. Sorry. Yes. I do, I do know Helen. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you first came together, you were in one particular location, and then you moved. Was that within a few a few years of meeting, or had you settled in first? Well, a little story. Well, I moved in with Helen not long after we got together, sort of thing, and that type of thing. And she she lost her husband uh -huh. um, to cancer, and she's a Greek. She's a different culture, Greek Cypriot. Yes, and. Uh, yeah, one of the issues was that um, yeah, there's still the domineering family side of it, and that's life, and that's understandable, yeah. whatever. And one of the and Helen actually wanted to move out of Sydney. She just wanted to get away from the that yeah. sort of thing and have her own life. And uh -huh. uh, one of the things was to get married. And I said basically, as far as I'm concerned, I'm married. I'm only putting this ring on the finger to yes. cement the relationship. Yeah. So two years after we got together, basically we we decided to move, and we moved up here because. It was close enough for Helen to be back to see her dad because yeah. he was at that stage of being ill. And if something happened, we moved further away. It was too right. far to come back. Yeah. So we moved up here. So we've been up on the coast for 19 years. Wow. Yeah. 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 And what are you doing? Did when you moved to the coast, what was your first job there? I was self-employed, and then we bought a couple of pizza huts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, as, well. you, as you do, yeah, yeah. yeah so I never, no, nothing like a challenge, mate. Yeah, I know, but you know, going from selling phones to running pizza, but <laughs> you wouldn't have thought there's much congruity there. But obviously, it, it's still a business, isn't it? Look, everything's the same in reality. Yeah. You still got to follow the same principles. You talked about numbers games with sales. Everything's numbers. You still got to make, the, yeah. The, the dollars and the pluses and minus of the the um the sh everything balance at the end of the day so um, yeah what what 
I've, the, the question that I've just come to me is, how did you find, did you find it different managing staff in one job to managing staff at Pizza Hut? Yeah, look, um, it was probably, look, I love, love Pizza Hut for the stuff that I learnt. Even though yeah. I was in my 40s, I still learnt stuff from Pizza Hut. And one right. of the things that was important you took away from Pizza Hut was they have a system. Yeah. And I can still remember how to clean the floor. You have right. a figure eight to clean the floor when you mop the floor. There are systems. And if you follow systems, they always work. Yeah. And back a little bit of background on the uh, Pizza Huts. We bought them in receivership and we bought them for nothing. Yeah. And they, were make, they weren't making any money. And I mean, it took, took us a while to get them to where we wanted to. And But we had to get them to a turnover, but we actually got them in the top 5% for service in the state. Yeah. And one of the reasons we did that is that we made sure the staff learned how to follow systems. And right. even though they, I can remember, we turn up unannounced sometimes and I can remember turning up from one of the shift managers, here he is reading the paper. And I said, well, how many pieces are you prepped? And he said, oh, none, we'll be right. And I said, no, you won't, you'll be under the pump. Yeah. And so we had to teach them how just to get this. We could, the system would actually print out how many pizzas you need to, to make of each type. Right. For the night and they conversely tell you how many orders you're going to do for the day based on historical data and if you use their systems it would work for you yes and that was that was the key to doing it and when you did those sort of things and it applies to everything yeah you see hnp we yeah. read a script every week yeah if you follow the time way it, it yeah. pretty well works yeah and i go to some other meetings and they don't follow a script they're a little bit all over the place right and yeah it's systems it's yeah doing those sort of things it's having a plan it's doing those sort of things and it works but uh, staff staff was a challenge we're just a glorified child mining center at times <laughs> um yeah it was frustrating because people because they're all different pay rates and yeah you, know, you try and put the square they're trying to put square pegs in round holes when round pegs should be going in round holes so that you yeah. can get a bit of value and manage it and that was the most frustrating part trying to get things like that to work and getting yeah. the staff to understand that yet sometimes it would say put a mate in and you'd say no mate you're not putting him in there and i actually developed a few other things that would actually tell me where their discrepancies were pretty quickly in the end of the day with a report yes and yeah like once again reporting and yeah. systems and all those sort of things if everything goes into place and even the staff if they follow the system or whatever once they started to do that and you had to do trainings and yeah. you had to do regular trainings. And it wasn't just for the staff, it was also for the franchisees and it was also for the managers yeah. and that type of thing. So it was an ongoing thing. Yeah. Were you doing were you doing some miles then? Were you yes. putting miles yeah, on the road? Yeah, because they weren't close by. One was uh, six hours away. Uh, <laughs> and the only reason we bought them, we didn't really want to buy them. We just bought them cheap. Right. And the intention was to get them up and running and get rid of them. And that's basically what we did. Yeah. We got to a point. But I remember remember driving away from the second one and we got a phone call from a friend in Queensland who was in Pizza Hut. And Helen's response was to the lady, her name was Di. She says, guess what, Di? And Di says, I don't know. And she says, I've got my husband back. Because I was basically tied to the Pizza Huts all the yeah. time with managing and making sure things were working and yeah. wages and those yeah. sort of things. Yeah. 
and you don't sometimes because when you invest into something seriously you sometimes don't realize how much you're actually investing in time absolutely so many other areas that's yeah. uh funny enough on friday i'm at a network meeting in england and that is going to be the sort of genre around which i, I give my presentation um I, I basically screwed a couple of relationships up because I put too much effort into the work and not the family. Mm. And so, uh, you know, that's something that's close to the heart at the minute. But I'm the luckiest man alive because my daughter still... My, my, the two partners that I was with still talk to me and the daughters love me. So I'm the luckiest man alive, really. Because I know yeah. a lot of I know a lot of men have lost families through focusing on work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I lost family in that sense. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no. I'm saying I saying that. Yeah, I yeah. do know a lot that did. But, um, you know, so, even when even when we went away to visit the stores and stuff, Helen always came with me, so that was important yeah. as well. That, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she still she still had an involvement, not to the extent That's that I it. did. That's it. When you when you when you go on trips like that, Ian, it, does it involve hotels stopping over and things like that? Oh, absolutely, motels. Yeah, usually a motel. Yeah. 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 Yep. And I mean, how was that sort of for the mentality that you know you're perhaps sometimes spending more time in hotels than home? I didn't spend that much time in reality because most no. of I actually was one of the first people in Pizza Hut to put the internet on, right? Uh, because I wanted reporting to be instantaneous and things like that. So, yeah. Um, as I said, I developed a report that would actually tell me at the end of the day, yeah, where errors were in there, and I could look at the report in five minutes and I can tell you, tell them what they'd done incorrectly, right? And uh, yeah, because I'm very analytical in that sense. Because I actually, that, speaking, I actually did get a scholarship to be a math teacher. So, right, um, yeah, yeah, and I love playing. I can play with figures and do those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, yeah, that that was gonna be a question. You know, going from a a, a farm, a farm boy, to yeah. developing systems, there might be some similarities there, but yeah. uh, it's certainly a, a jump, isn't it? It's a leap from working with your hands to working with your brain. Yeah, I think, yeah, I've, but I've always been one of those people that is willing to learn. And I think yeah. I've, that's one thing I've always said, when I stop learning, I'm in deep trouble. Yeah, yeah. And so my attitude is I'm gonna be learning all my life. Uh -huh. And I'm not scared of new technology like phones and stuff like that. I'm willing to say, okay, how can I use it? How can right. I make it work for me? That's great. Um, because too many people are scared of things and they're just stuck in a little rut that that's all I've ever done and that's well, all I'll ever do. Here's yeah. one put, putting my hand up, Ian. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'd rather walk 50 miles than look at a new piece of equipment, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I'm willing to have open eyes and I mightn't accept it straight away, but I'll watch it and learn about it and then work out where it fits in. Yeah. Yes. I think the difference is, as you say, you are very analytical, yeah. very detailed yeah. orientated. Um, I, I'm probably more the I'm I'm looking at the big picture all the time, 
not necessarily. I know. I, I look. I look at the big picture, oh, but yeah. I look at everything. Yeah. I'll I was going to say. Yeah. You yeah. look at the detail as well. Where I, I sometimes find details um, not boring, but particularly when now I'm on my own. Yeah. I find it. I find them fascinating. Sometimes I find them fascinating. Yeah. Right. But taking that a step further, like my father worked for the was 82 on a farm. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons he was so fit and strong at that age was because he was active. Yes. And he was doing yeah. what he, doing what he loved, but he only That's only it. stopped working because he got infected by a mosquito, which caused some problems. And that from that point he fell apart. But the point I'm trying to make is that yeah, if your mind's active and you're active, I think you'll live a little bit longer. Oh, <laughs> and probably enjoy life a little bit longer. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. and you'll survive mosquitoes. Yeah, because there's too many. Pe- yes, yeah, true. <laughs> but too many, too many people to me drop you know, the old stories of the bank managers and the school teachers. Absolutely, they'd retire and you'd see them in the pub for the next six months, and yeah, twelve months later they've dropped off the perch. Yeah, because they've got nothing to keep them motivated. Yeah. Funnily enough, Ian, I, I worked in a hospital where we did exercise people with low back pain. And people used to say, you must get a lot of workers, a lot of plumbers, a lot of people. And we say, no, a lot of our patients are managers because they sit in a chair all day and then a pencil drops on the floor. They go down to pick it up and bang, the back goes. They're not plumbers. They're not active. That's it. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of the periods then, Ian. So... The last couple of years, what's what's happened to Ian Kingwill over the last couple of years? Oh, I'm happily married. Um, got a great wife. Got two sons. Got eight grandsons. Yeah. Uh, my wife has a grandson as well, so we have nine grandsons between yeah. us. Yeah. Um, watching kids grow up, watching grandkids grow up. Um, yeah, well, keep back, keep working. I enjoy what I'm doing. It's something that's going to happen all my life. Yeah. Um, another stage is I've become part of the Happy Neighbourhood Project. Met people like you. Yeah. Uh, so talking about keeping an open mind. Yeah, you know, it's not something I would have thought about 20 years ago that I'd be doing things like that. No. Talking no. to you on the other side of the world. Um, yeah. No. And yeah, we've been doing our card business for 12 years. So yeah. We'll keep doing it. <laughs> so, but you've always got you know, a smile on your face, here, and I must say that. Well, I enjoy life, mate. When my yeah. eyes open, I'm having a pretty good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think you've already more or less answered the last question is, where do you want to be in five years' time? I don't want to move too, too far from here because I love where I live. Yeah. And, yeah, probably Helen wants to get a new house and that's probably the next stage of getting something that yeah, suits probably a little bit's changing style, but somewhere in the area and... Yeah, yeah, still doing what I'm doing and probably hopefully travelling somewhere else in the world or maybe going to the UK. Okay. Hopefully the borders might open. You'll always <laughs> be welcome in. <clears throat> but I'm not going to say that anything were in particular. I think no. you know, watching the kids, the grandkids, the in five years' time, the eldest grandkid will be about leaving school, things like that. Yeah. Um, seeing where they go in their lives. Um, one's a very talented tool. Two of them look like they're talented sportsmen, so right. see where they go. Little things yeah. like that. Yeah. So, oh, you'll yeah. perhaps be over here watching them play cricket. Um, well, one of them might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's also a good Australian footballer, but he might do something, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. No. 
Can you just, yeah. I, I know we've spoken about it, but um, the view from your window, what could, if you looked out of your front or back window now, what would you see? Blue skies. Any, are you close to the beach? Are you close to? No, no, I can't see that. I can only see another house. Yeah, no, we're right. not that close. We're five minutes walk to the beach. Yeah. Ah, well, yeah. <laughs> that's not that's too where, far. If you, if five years time, that's probably where I'd like to be with a better view of the water. Right. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. If you, if well, you yeah. want to nail something down. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure, mate. And we have got through it without any problems with the internet, which is a, a, a real boon. So, I want to thank you for going through the life and the lessons certainly about keeping going, about getting up, about getting back up is one that most people should be taking with them, particularly now. We've got to bounce back from what's just happened. I oh, look, life is that about that. You're going to get punches in the face, whatever. Yeah. You're going to get rejection. You're going to get all that. Yeah. But my attitude is I say to people, you know what's going to happen tomorrow, Ernie? And Ernie says, no. No. Mate, the sun's going to come up. <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's another day. It's another opportunity. Go on into it. Make the most of it. Yeah. <laughs> and don't, get, don't get too caught up in all the crap that's going on, all the minutia. Mate, you no. can make your own decisions about what you're going to do. That's it's your it. choice. It's just, that's Lovely. Just what it is. A philosopher as well. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It's lessons learned, mate. Lessons yeah. learned. Thanks very <laughs> much, Ian. Don't go away when I switch off. What's going to happen is that I'll send this to my video guy. He'll do, I don't think there's no, there won't be any edits unless I've made a mistake. I'll write a little bit of copy. I'll send everything to you. You make any edits you want, send it back and then it'll go up on LinkedIn and wherever you want it to go. Okay. okay. Thanks, Thanks Ian. That. Take care. Likewise, Ernie. Talk soon. Uh, thank you for listening to No Story Stagnates with me, Ernie Boxall. No Story Stagnates is the unique way to boost your visibility by allowing the audience to know your story, your brand and your authority. By telling your story well, you can make the maximum impact with more people without anxiety or dread. If you've ever thought about telling your story and telling it well, go to No Story Stagnates at Ernie at ErnieSaid.info. That's E R N I E at E R N I E S A I D dot info. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe if you've enjoyed what you've heard on the video. Take care.